welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. This episode is supported by SW Basics, a skincare line that values organic, fair trade ingredients, five or less per product. It's a pretty rare thing to find in our beauty products these days. I love that for sure. Oils, masks, balms, salves, toners, cleansers, you name it, they've got the essentialist version of it. SW Basics founder Adina has said, we encourage our audience to aspire to get control of their routines and then stop giving a shit. I'm in. Me too. So visit swbasics.com to poke around and see all the lovely products they have to offer and enter code UPBRINGING for 15% off. Now onto our conversation. Jessica Murnan is the inspiring creator of the One Part Plant Movement, an initiative to get everyone out there to start eating just one plant-based meal each day. She's the author of the beautiful and delicious One Part Plant Cookbook and host of the One Part Podcast, where she interviews amazing folks in wellness, food, and personal growth. Jessica's also the founder of Know Your Endo, an endometriosis education, awareness, and support platform, which has drastically improved hers and many others' endometriosis with the power of food. Jessica just makes us feel good, whether we're laughing or crying. We loved (laughs) connecting with her about her four-year-old son, how to take the judgments out of food conversations with our kids, trauma, grief, adoption, and how slowing down can help us integrate both as parents and people. It's so funny, one of my friends once we were talking about getting our book deals and I told her that I think that, you know, if I didn't have my disease, my endometriosis, I don't really know if I would have gotten a book deal because it kind of, it created a story. She's like, oh, I kind of wish I had something. I'm like, do you though? Like, Me are mortal. <laughs> but, um, but, I, but I think that, I don't know, I think, so I have stage four endometriosis and I'm not obviously discounting anyone that doesn't have some sort of chronic illness, but there's something about having it that I feel like makes everything else seem not so bad. And mm-hmm. I think even when it comes to parenting, you know, if I have sort of a cold or I'm not feeling so great. I've also, you know, took care of my son when I had like a giant baby head system, I ovary burst, you know what I mean? So it's like, what's a cold when you've done that? So I think that, I don't know, I think that it just makes us sometimes stronger, more resilient, and just really have to just push through sometimes and not go around things as much. Yeah, I feel like we've been really trying to look at everything that's a challenge lately as in this major opportunity to just be facing shit before it like takes us down from behind basically yeah you know i think that's why sometimes and again not discounting that motherhood is hard or marriage is hard or these things but sometimes when i hear people complaining mm. about that stuff i mean i know that everyone's own personal journey path whatever is hard for them but to me I'm like man I've kind of been through some rougher stuff than not getting my kid to sit on the toilet to poop you know what I mean like I kind of always perspective put things into perspective and and I don't even think that I consciously put them into perspective I think it just makes it easier to just roll with the punches absolutely I mean we've talked before about how you experienced a near loss um, mm-hmm. with your stepmother, and we had um, a loss with our our aunt, kind of semi mom, other mom, and how that really just made everything so clear and put everything in perspective. Like, what am I complaining about? Like, I don't like my couch color, right. or like, you know, what what is? Oh, yeah, I had a hard night's sleep last night because you know my baby wanted to keep nursing or whatever it was. Like, who cares about that stuff? It's it's valuable and it it definitely affects us all. But when you have different levels of of intensity in your life, that's scary. But it really also kind of adds this whole other color spectrum that. 
I don't know. It's kind of a gift. That's how yeah. I think of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and obviously in the moment, it doesn't feel like a gift. And even now, I'm sure with your aunt's passing, you're like, well, that was not a gift. But I definitely think that always learning new things. And I think too, you know, I think that with my stepmom, I mean, both your aunt, your aunt and my stepmom had necrotizing fasciitis and it deeply impacted my stepmom. And so even when it comes to doing things like working out or, you know, having to carry a water, a big water jug from the store to the parking lot or something, I just, I really, I'm reminded of her strength all the time and think, okay, buck up. Like you can work out for another 20 minutes. You can carry this water bottle because she endured way more than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that vision of how hard things can be and have been, it really just always brings me back to gratitude. And that's such like an overused word, but being like, wow, like I'm so grateful that this person is alive. I'm so grateful that I can be walking right now. I'm so grateful that I get to sleep in my bed at night instead of somewhere else, like a hospital bed or something, you know? Yeah. But I think it's also, I mean, I hear people talk about this stuff and I'm like, yeah, and it really resonates. But then I think when you're also in the moment and, you know, your shoelace breaks or you can't get the sheets on the bed and you're like, ah, you don't really pause and think, I should be really grateful that I have a bed. It's like, no, you're just like (laughs) mad. You know what I mean? So I think it's figuring out a way to do that too, because I don't think our first instinct is gratitude. No. How can we be in constant like state of mindfulness and self-awareness? That's impossible. Yeah. yeah. Good. I'm glad you're saying that because I don't think it's possible either. <laughs> well, except maybe we've been taking this mindfulness-based stress reduction course. It's like an eight-week mm-hmm. course. And I, I swear to God, I don't know, maybe people just deify their instructors, but like our instructor, I can never imagine him getting angry about anything ever. ever. <clears throat> and that doesn't make me feel worse about me being a mere mortal, but it's something to kind of aspire to. But Right. Yeah, no, we totally. Had, we had a... um a six and a half hour silent retreat on Sunday. And it reminded mm-hmm. me of your retreat where you were like, weren't you like staring at a wall or something? Or yeah, I could only about? look out a window for eight hours and I ended up pushing it to 10 hours. But yeah, it was yeah. no reading, no writing, no meditating, no sleeping, nothing, just looking out the window. And also during that time, and listen, I'm not suggesting anyone do this unsupervised because I had someone come check on me every hour, but like also during that day, I only, you know, I ate this like rice porridge. It was a very um, Indian Ayurvedic, like traditional mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I mean, yeah, like, cause during that time, I even, I couldn't even distract myself with food, you know, yeah. it was what like was going just, through your mind. What were you thinking? What were uh, your thought patterns like? Do you remember? Uh, I mean, I definitely saw things in new ways. I mean, I, I, there was, I was just like pressing my face against the screen of the window. And I remember a couple of times bugs came by and I remember thinking like, I have never seen a wing like that before. Just like really (laughs) looking at these bugs in a way that analyzing them and then being very sad when they flew away because it was, it felt like my only connection to something. But yeah, I I think towards the end of that day, I was very angry. Uh, it could have been the hunger. It could have been, I don't know what it was, but I felt a lot of anger. And in that night, I went to bed thinking like, F this place. I can't believe I did this. Like such a waste of money. And you can believe this or not believe this. I don't know. But my teacher the next day said that was just all of your anger and emotions and everything just kind of coming to the surface. And then the next morning I woke up and I felt amazing. So I totally believe that. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was thinking about you it from purged our, from our a bunch of baggage. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But like we, we do part of the course is doing walking meditation and it's so fucking hard to walk slowly, like mm-hmm. really slowly and I'd never really thought about that. You, I'm like constantly trying not to fall over. And and I was thinking about that paired with like sitting down when we're meditating, all of a sudden I just like burst into tears. And, and I was thinking about how like only when you can actually slow down that much can 
you know, do you fall over even in a good way? You know, yes, like you did getting angry and me getting sad and just whatever it is, is going to find a way out. But only if you can slow down long enough for it to happen. Yeah. And I mean, the whole reason why I went to that whole retreat thing in the first place is I had gained so much weight. And I didn't go there to lose weight, but I had gained so much weight. I was so depressed, like in a very bad, 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 like the kind of depression where you're not even sad anymore. You're just numb. Uh And I think that I had a really, really bad three years. And I think that when it was finally calm, it just all caught up to me and it just took over my body and my brain. And I think, you know, I interviewed Dr. Aviva Rome, who I'm obsessed with. And she was saying how, you know, so many like high executives and people that are workaholics, they take their first, first vacation in three years or four years. And then they're sick the whole vacation because it was the first time that their body was just able to just be calm and rest. Yeah, totally. I feel like that's even been happening. I feel it's like something I'm imagining maybe, but postpartum or like those, even those few years, just as your kids are getting a little older and you're starting to be like, okay, I'm getting my bearings. And I've Mm -hmm. noticed with, at least with Kelty and me and with a lot of our friends, like we're literally in a health crisis right now where Mm -hmm. I think our bodies are literally being like, They've been go, 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 survive, survive, keep these little people alive. And now we're able to relax just enough to literally kind of tank a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, Yeah, totally. um, Is that something you notice? You know, we turn 35 or we get into our early mid 30s. We're starting a family and then we've got 40. Yeah, I mean, I'm in my 40s, which people don't really know that. But um, people (laughs) people think I'm in my 30s. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. And Maybe I'm uh, completely naive and blocking something, but I guess I don't really think about age as much. Like I actually, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I have been getting kind of annoyed by some of the comments that my friends are making, like, oh, we're getting old or like they'll get Mm -hmm. up and they're, you know, they're like, oh, my leg, I'm getting old. It's like, stop saying that. Like, let's not like, we don't need to talk about I mean, I know that these things are going to happen, but I think that sometimes we just kind of make them worse by constantly telling ourselves, oh, we're old, we're getting old, we're old. But I think that, yes, totally. But I think that, you know, with parenthood, I mean, I did not physically give birth, so I cannot even imagine the feeling of having your body catch up to your activity level because I'm I mean I think that I'm sure you've talked about it on the podcast but I can't I don't think that there's enough weight put on what women go through to give birth and then they're expected to bounce back and then I mean major surgeries they say that sometimes it can take up to a year to feel like yourself again so I mean, I can't imagine a mom that gave birth and it would take me like five years to probably catch up. Yeah, but I feel like you make a really good point with saying how it's really easy for us to fall into a state of kind of almost learned helplessness with our own health and to be like, well, it's just because I'm postpartum. This is how it is. Or it's because I am getting older. And, you know, my mother-in-law does this where she's like, this is just, and I say it with a German accent because she's (laughs) a beautiful German woman. But, um, but, you know, this is just how it is, Hannah. You know, you're just this is how, you know, when we get older. And I want to be like, no, it's not. It doesn't have to be. There's some people who are 70, 80 and like in better condition than they were when they were 30 and 40. And I think that we're maybe we're not even tanking. Our systems aren't tanking. It's just we're noticing. We're able to finally notice my body doesn't feel good and I'm done. I don't want to, you know, feel this way anymore. Um, yeah. No matter what my age is if that makes sense. Yeah. And I also think that sounds maybe kind of weird, but I also think that once you truly start taking care of yourself, you also become more aware of how you feel too. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you're able to take the time and eat for your body and work out for your body, like I'm able to notice things right away if something doesn't adjust with me in terms of what I eat or how I work out, because I'm constantly working on myself. Whereas before when with my endometriosis, 
I was just, I always felt like crap. So if I ate something that didn't agree with me, I didn't even know it because I already felt bad. Yeah. But now that I truly take care of myself, I'm really able to, I think, identify when things make me feel bad, which is good or bad because mm. I'm hyper aware of everything now. Totally. <laughs> totally. That's how Hannah is, especially to the curse like of self awareness. Cheese yesterday. Oh, but, right, but even, totally. I mean, even once you become aware of anything, your emotions or your hair or whatever it is you decide to focus on, you that's the blessing and the curse is that you can work on it and improve it, but that you also see like every little micro adjustment. Um, yeah. It's, it's a blessing it's and a curse for sure. Yeah. We were reading about the Know Your Endo course you created. Amazing. And it looks oh, like thanks. such a holistic program. We were like, can we sign up for this too? <laughs> we were wondering how many non-endometriosis people sign up for it. Yeah. Well, um, we we actually have had a few people that thought they might have endo, but they weren't mm-hmm. sure. And it always makes me cry thinking about it. But then the course gave the community of the course gave them the confidence to finally get a diagnosis or to Mm -hmm. finally be able to speak up about what they're going through. And I mean, one woman in the course joined and she said, look, I already know all this stuff about the food and natural products. She's like, I just really joined to connect with a bunch of women that have the same disease that I do and want to make positive change. Mm -hmm. Because I think that with a lot of chronic illnesses and even with motherhood, I think that you can find these groups of people that are more interested in kind of being sad and negative about it than, Mm -hmm. and I'm, listen, I don't want anyone coming at me that has Indo or is a mom that is going through it because I understand. But I think that sometimes we have to celebrate the wins and celebrate, you know, the positive people around us or celebrate looking at someone that has made significant changes, hope, you know? So, yeah. So I, I feel really proud of that course, but I think mainly just because of the people that are in it that are getting out of bed and going to work now because I can present them with all the information in the world, but it's truly up to them to actually do it. Mm-hmm. But that's the community that you're building is that feeling of they're not alone and feeling not alone allows us to move forward. It yeah. gives us that safe feeling of, okay, I can do this. Okay. I can make little steps. Um, well, and it sounds like with the program, we don't know all about it, but that it's so many things. It's it's so much lifestyle, you know, food, oh, movement, all stress lifestyle. management. I wonder how many partners are in it too. Like why would someone not be like, dude, you're going to do this too, because we have to eat the same food and we wake up at the same time. Do a lot yeah, of people and do I that? Think, I think that's, I think that with anything in our life that we're making change with, I think that with the partner component, it's always can be a tricky thing. Like I feel so fortunate that my husband ate a certain way way before I did. Like I was getting the fast food and he was, you know, sauteing kale. We had very opposite diets. Um, He never said, told you so. He never encouraged me to eat the way that he did. But I'm, I, I'm so grateful that we're on the same page. But yeah, I mean, even people on my course struggled because they have three kids and they've created a lifestyle for their family that is really hard for them to change. I mean, it's already tricky enough to get your kid to eat. And then all of a sudden you're not cooking the same way that you used to. And so I do think I think it's really hard. I mean, one woman in my course has five kids with endometriosis and changing her diet and creating new lifestyle habits for her whole family. Can you imagine that? Like that's, it's hard enough to do it for yourself. Yeah. And not, you know, with, we think with, we have little kids right now, so we've been changing our eating quite a bit, but they can kind of roll with it so much easier. I'm imagining like a 10 year old or a teenager or yes, that's huge. Switching your habits uh, and everyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, I, I think that it's, getting whoever you live with, whether it's a roommate or a partner or whoever, try to get on them on board as much as possible. But I also just encourage people to sit down with them and say, look, this is not for me to lose weight. 
this is not for me to look hotter. This is for me and you to have a happier life together. And I think that when people can understand that, it might be a little easier, hopefully. I love that advice for <clears throat> for parents even who don't have a chronic illness and just want to get on board changing yeah. their diet and getting healthier and just setting that intention with their family to be like, I know we've been doing this thing and now we're going to be trying this. You know, right. My daughter on the way to um, school yesterday was like, I don't want to die. How can mm-hmm. I not do oh that? <laughs> she brings up the crazy shit in the car. But mm-hmm. and I was just like, you know, so many things. I was like laughing, loving each other, eating good foods for our body, running around outside, you know, but she's really been zeroing in on food lately where she's like, what does this carrot do? You know, like I want to know what, you know, and 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 I'm I'm interested in your take on how to educate our kids with food because we don't want to be all crazy about it and neurotic, but we also want to to help them understand why they eat a certain way or why we serve certain foods, right? Yeah. I mean, dude, this is such a tricky topic for me because I grew up with a terrible relationship with food. And I think even until I changed my diet for my endometriosis that I began to have a good relationship, like I credit my disease for giving me a better relationship with food because it finally taught me why I was consuming foods, which was to feel good or bad on the inside and not to look a certain way or a number on a scale. So I grew up with a terrible relationship to food. I think that was obviously in part to my parents without even trying. I think that they did some things. Mm-hmm. What was and the I think great meat pie thing that you that you had? Oh, you hamburger pie? Hamburger pie. Oh my God. Was, I think about that sometimes. It's fucking <laughs> disgusting. But it was a layer of meatloaf, a layer of mashed potatoes, a layer of Velveeta cheese. And then I asked for ketchup on no, not on my side. So my sister would have ketchup on her side, which was like a very Midwestern comfort food. Baby. Comfort yeah. food. Mm-hmm. But I think my bad disordered eating thinking came from just seeing you know if my mom broke up with a boyfriend it was we went directly to the store she bought chips she bought dip she bought cookies like she comforted herself with food and that's not a bad thing but I think when you see that over and over again you're like oh you eat that kind of food when you're sad Mm -hmm. and so I think that I really try hard with Sid to not make him feel like food is good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I learned something from Laura Thomas. She's a, uh, she's a, she's a nutritionist, but she also does like, um, what is that called? Intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And I had her on my podcast and she just, I was, I was actually asking her about this for myself. And she said that when your kid wants something and you don't really want them to have it, you just say, oh, that's not on the menu tonight. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, they're going to say why. And you just have to keep on repeating. It's just not on the menu tonight. Instead of saying, well, we already had dessert yesterday or you already had too much sweets today. And so I've been really, really trying hard to do that with Sid to not create this good and bad food camp and really asking him how he feels like, you know, I keep a completely plant-based diet. I don't eat any animal products and I'm gluten-free, which so basically I don't really eat anything good. <laughs> but I mean, Not I do true. eat I, I eat a lot of delicious things, but I think to someone listening this, it's like, what the hell do you eat? But uh, buy your cookbook. Okay, thanks. thanks. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. But I think like when Sid goes to a birthday party, I don't put any limitations on him except that we don't eat meat and he's cool with that but I let him eat a cupcake I let him eat whatever is there because I don't want him to start feeling weird around Mm -hmm. kids or feeling weird about his eating habits and if he has a stomach ache I just say how does your stomach feel and why do you think it feels that way instead of saying well it's because you ate that cake Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to get him in touch with his body too to ask him how it makes him feel and we had a string cheese moment. Incident. I don't want him. Yeah, exactly. What was that spaghetti incident that Guns N' Roses? <laughs> but we had a string cheese thing where his school gave him string cheese. It's really not something that I'd like for him to eat. Um, but I just told him, I'm like, 
this is where this cheese came from. This is how it was made. And it's your choice if you want to eat it or not. And so he ate a couple bites of it and threw it away. But that was like a moment where I was like, do you know about factory farming? Like, I'm not going to like <laughs> tell him about that. Pull out the slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't want to freak him out. But I also mm-hmm. just want him to be aware yeah. But yeah, Jessica, we don't. I don't think yeah. most adults know about factory farming. True. That's, yeah. Like, True. We've, we've been reading the <clears throat> food book by Mark Hyman. Oh, and yeah. it's not like all of it was revelatory, but a lot of it, I was just like, oh god, oh, damn. Yeah. Um. But I love that you are helping him get in touch, not just with his body, but with with food in general and the whole food culture, and um. And I think I feel like that's something we can all be doing, whether we eat gluten or not, or uh, what our family eats versus other things. Like our kids should be able to essentially, generally choose. They get to make choices, and we choose the kind of overarching stuff because we set the table, we buy the stuff, we cook it. But I think that that when you said and he gets to choose and it's up to him, I was like, that's such a huge responsibility. But technically, every kid should have that responsibility. That seems very reasonable to me. Yeah, and I mean when. This it can also get you into problems because we went to the store and he wanted this like insane sugar cereal that had like 20 different dyes in it. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, thank you. And he's like, well, it's my choice. And I'm like, well, this is not your choice right now. It's like, yeah, this is not something I think that if you eat this and start your day, you're going to feel great. And I just we're not buying this for our house. Mm-hmm. So. um, So, yeah, I mean, it's constantly evolving this thing that I'm doing but I don't know I think so far so good and I it makes me feel happy the way that he loves to eat and we went I mean this was like a bad thing maybe but we went to a friend's house and they had it was like a barbecue situation and they made us something different than their family and we all sat down at the table and he looked at the stuff that they were eating and he said he like stood up really loud and he was like mom these people eat meat i was like (laughs) well everybody eats something a little different we're not we can't judge them so when we got home we just had to talk about the fact that you can't judge people to their face about what they eat yeah (laughs) just behind their back right (laughs) yeah we don't do it behind their back either but i I mean he does yeah i mean we don't eat meat and that's something that uh but i think that just the fact that you guys make choices about your food can allow you to either judge or can allow you to like um kind of celebrate the diversity of people's choices. Wow, this is what we do. And look, these people over here do this other thing. There's no real right or wrong. It's about our bodies, our family. Like that's a really cool lesson for a kid to learn. Yeah. And I mean, my husband does eat eggs and I don't. That's like the only thing that we have in our house that is like animal product. Mm-hmm. And so my my son I did not tell him to do this, but he calls them the stinky eggs. And so we play these games of like, where could we throw the stinky eggs? And it's usually like over the fence or like, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how his eating evolves. Yeah. And when, when he gets to that age where, you know, he's been kind of incubated in your home and has yeah. probably similar values and habits. And then how how are those going to play out when he's able to truly be making his own choices and having so much more exposure? Yeah. That's, and I mean, yeah. lucky, wow. lucky for me, I feel like there's so many great meat alternatives and plant-based foods mm-hmm. that I feel like he'll have a lot of great options out there by the time that he can buy his own food. (laughs) Absolutely. Fingers crossed. We, I remember feeling kind of resentful that we grew up in a house where it was just like very granola with no added anything and lots of vegetables and a little bit of meat and no sweet stuff. And, and it's not like our mom was sensory in that way either, but I remember just feeling kind of disgruntled about Mm -hmm. it at times. We were the odd ones out a little bit. We were, but, and we would go and just like gorge at friends' houses on all their amazing stuff. And it's just, it's interesting that we've now come back and we're like, oh my God, we're our mom. We are totally we're our totally mom. Oh my gosh. Mom. So that's what, that's what my husband, Dan said. I was saying that, you know, when he goes to college or 
who even knows what college will be when he's 18. It could mm-hmm. just all be online with robots. But mm-hmm. he, Dan was just saying that he just believes that because he himself did it, you always return. Most mm-hmm. times you return back to what you learned. And you kind of mm-hmm. have like, what's that Amish time period where they just go crazy for a little bit? Oh, the yeah. Rom, they, the, like Rom a sabbatical sp- thing. Yeah. Rom Springer or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Dan grew up super, super healthy. And then he had like his mozzarella Snapple period where he mm-hmm. like only di- did that in high school and college. And then he returned back to the way that his parents raised him to eat. Yeah. It's the majority of your kind of formative time. You know? yeah. it's, it's experimentation though later. And like, I think that that's really great that you trust Sid already to to be making some of his own little choices already. And then to be, you know, going out into the world and doing that in a bigger way. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, we remember reading a just a beautiful blog post that brought us to tears um, mm. from a couple years back that you wrote about why you have never wanted to be pregnant, mm. but still wanted to start and have a family through adoption. And mm-hmm. it just really touched us because we have several friends who I think have felt similarly about not wanting to be pregnant, but have kind of been stuck in this kind of limbo of being like, but does that mean... I don't want to have a family. Does that other people probably assume that Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about this. I feel a little shame. Um, Why do you think that is? Oh gosh. I mean, I just knew from a very young age that I just did not ever want pregnancy for my body. I don't know why. I don't know if it was some sort of foreshadowing that I would have endometriosis and maybe I couldn't have kids. Like, I don't really know. And just to be clear, I've never tried to get pregnant, so I don't even know if I can, if I can't. I just knew that I didn't want to be pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I think that, thankfully, I have a family that's always been very supportive of some of my less conventional decisions and ideas. And then I <laughs> met someone who I married that I told from the beginning that if you want kids, like they're not coming out of my body, you know, they will be adopted through surrogacy. Like, I don't know how it's going to happen. I just don't physically want to have children. And I think that, I mean, I stuck with it. And I think that that is a tricky thing when you don't want that, if you don't have that feeling, because I don't know if you guys experienced it, but I have so many friends that felt this want and need and craving to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't have that, how are you supposed to know if you really want to have kids or not? It's kind of Mm -hmm. a tricky thing to figure out. And I really struggled with that a lot. And I think, I think what really changed me in deciding to adopt was just this understanding. And my husband he always knew that he really wanted kids and he gave me a really great PDF presentation that he made. He's in advertising, so it looked great. <laughs> but he gave me like a big, he we called it the baby presentation and he took me out to dinner and presented all the financial stuff about childcare, what adoption costs would be like and da, 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 da. But I think what really was the sealing the deal is just him explaining and me understanding that it wasn't a baby that he wanted. He wanted a family mm-hmm. and that how much I love my family at Christmas and playing games with them and conversations that I have with my dad. I mean, he was just saying, you know, that won't that family won't always be there, which is so depressing to think about, yeah. but <laughs> that he wanted us to create our own. And so it started to make sense to me in that way, because I'm not the type of person that wanted to have a baby so someone could take care of me or want to have a baby so I could have someone that looked like my husband and I. Like, I personally, those aren't my motives. It was to create a sense of family. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if there's anyone listening that is struggling with that, I think that it might be a way to look at it as if, do you want to have that family unit or not? And not, do you want a baby? Because you can also adopt older kids too. It doesn't have yeah. to be a baby. Mm-hmm. Right. When babies grow up, I think we just, it's so easy. I think 
at least for me, when I went into it, <clears throat> I was like, I'm having a baby because a baby's growing in me. It's very obvious that there's a baby situation going on. Mm -hmm. And my husband will always be like, I can't wait for us to like take her to the movies. And like mm -hmm. he was thinking about an older kid, which I think is in some ways very responsible because it's like you're really picturing the trajectory of what right. – uh, raising a child is going to look like. So that's great. But even though he was talking about all the really fun. Yeah, stuff. <laughs> I know. I was like, what about the not so fun stuff? Okay. Keep, yeah. Keep talking to yourself about that. But, um, but anyway, I just, we just really respect you for honoring your body and your, your inner wisdom, I guess. And oh, thanks. And it it's just, kind of, it is, it makes me, I don't want to say sad because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm sad for them, but it does make me feel something for people that are not able to feel like they could own that decision for themselves, whether it's a partner that is against adoption or it's a family member that thinks it's like, why wouldn't you just have your own kid? Or, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many women that reach out to me that have read what I wrote just saying that they wish that they could make that decision for themselves because that's how they feel. And it's, it's it is heartbreaking to me that we feel this pressure that we have to give birth in order to have a family and that we're weirdos if we don't want to do that yeah or that uh, that adoption needs to be at the bottom of the list of how to yes, build a family like why like were you guys the only ones in your uh, you know adoption class or group that were oh, like definitely we were die the hard yeah we how were is the... that possible though it's it's just because it's just mind. it's just i mean one it's I think people think that it's crazy expensive. I mean, it's definitely not inexpensive, but I think they think, well, having a baby is going to be less expensive than adopting because I've heard people say the cost thing. But if you have don't have insurance and you get a C-section, that's like right. triple the cost of what adoption costs. And I think, you know, most of the people in our class were there as their last resort. Yeah. And that was not something I mean, we had to really you know, be careful about our excitement because they were there. They weren't happy about being there at first. They had to come to terms with, we cannot have a baby. And that was really hard for a lot of people there. But I mean, the cool thing was, was seeing them through the classes start to be excited about it. Because I'm sure your excitement was infectious. Oh, inspiring. I, I really tried to be chill in the classes because I was <laughs> trying to be respectful of some people yeah. that were had been trying to get pregnant for 10 years and now they had to start this new process of waiting. And I think that that's why people, I mean, the adoption process isn't always easy, but for Dan and I, we hadn't been trying for 10 years. So it was the first time that we were trying. So waiting. It, the, it took us about nine months total to ha have a baby come home. It wasn't that hard for us because we hadn't been trying for so long. Yeah. I feel like there's also this idea in adoption that it's like you don't know who you're going to get. And it's like that's oh, what God. Kelty and I talk about how that's how it is with gestating a baby too. You have no idea who you're going to get. It's the same beautiful, magical roll of the dice. Yeah. And I, I mean, mean, how do you feel about that? It makes me mad yeah. <laughs> when people say that because yeah. I mean, and this is maybe whatever, but I actually think that when you adopt, you actually have somewhat more of a, a of a, a, I don't know. I don't want to say choice, but you have a better picture sometimes of mm -hmm. because you have to check a bunch of boxes. There's like a 10 page document about all the things that you're open to and not open to. So wow. you can be open to a child that will be blind or deaf or colorblind or has one arm or, I mean, you can make, you know, you're not, you know, you can't choose the sex and you can choose the race. You can just choose all these things. And Dan and I were very open to everything we were not open to twins that was like the one thing that we were like no what? we were like open to some disability but not twins because we were just like we're not we cannot do twins That's crazy. um but yeah i mean i think i think that you don't know what you're gonna get and with any baby whether you have them physically yourself or you adopt and then the one other thing that i just if you're listening to this please don't ever say this to someone when someone say that adoption is so noble Mm -hmm. It makes me 
so mad for some reason or just it kind of just makes me flinch and clinch and kind of just try not to say something because I don't it it makes it seem like you you saved a child or it's this like great cause that you did it's like you're talking about my son it wasn't noble for me to do that I didn't want to give birth and I got to meet this incredible person that I otherwise never would have met and there isn't really anything noble about that and I think Mm -hmm. it's especially rude to say that to people that have been trying to get pregnant for 10 years I'm like it's so noble it's like well I this was my option that I had has nothing to do with nobility right so I I just had someone say that to me two days ago I was just like I didn't say anything I don't ever say anything back I'm just like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> bye bye. Um, but thank you for mentioning that because I think people have the best of intentions. Yes, and it's, it's not. Just, it, said. This is one of those yeah. things where we just people don't always know what to say or how to say it, and they don't just understand the experience that people go through. So yeah, and I think you're right. It's like said with it's. I mean, it's a nice thing to say to someone. I just don't think it's always the best thing to say. Yeah. Well, so that leads me to ask, how can we help support friends and family and even strangers who are considering adoption? What can we do to not piss them off? Well, or hurt them? You know? I think that don't ask them about it all the time, because if they had a baby, they would tell you. I mean, I think constantly people with, again, great intentions, once a week checking in. So have you heard anything? Any new news? It's like, if I had a baby, I would tell you. <laughs> like it's yeah. just, And I think some days you don't want to think about it. So when people are constantly asking you about it, it, you know, it, I think sometimes it can be very supportive. And I think anyone that is going through the process, I always say to choose one friend that you tell everything to and just that friend. Because I I think Dan and I made a mistake in the beginning of sharing too much with too many people. And then we were almost managing their feelings and expectations. Oh, baby. And it's just kind of like, well, we're dealing with this. And I'm sorry that you're sad that it hasn't happened yet, but you're not. (laughs) About our life. (laughs) So I think um, I think you can do things in other ways, like maybe just if someone's going through the process, just asking them out to dinner or, you know, and don't buy them stuff yet because if an adoption falls through or things aren't moving quickly, you don't want to be looking at baby clothes in your bedroom as like a constant reminder that it hasn't happened yet. So I think just being respectful. And then I think something that my friends did for me that I loved is we had a huge party after my son came home which was amazing because I think I always sometimes think it's weird to have showers before the baby's born. That's just me. But but I think, you know, having a huge party after is amazing. And we still need all the same stuff just because we didn't give birth. So we just might need different things. Yeah, and just that idea of all getting to meet this new person to really celebrating the family. That's oh, he wasn't there invited. Now. It was no. more the party oh, was a, okay. the, the party was a tequila French fry party. My two uh, favorite what? things. So yeah, it was this these giant plates of French fries being served and <laughs> tequila cocktails. <laughs> but people came over and met him at other times. And you know what we did? I encouraged. Anyone that's doing this, it was the most fun thing that I've, I, I still remember this is one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. Dan and I called it the baby bomb, where we didn't tell anyone that we brought a baby home. We just FaceTimed like 20 of our favorite people <laughs> and just, just like, them up. yeah, just called them up. And then when they picked up the phone, there was a baby and they were like, what? And we just took screen caps of all of their shocked faces and I have those still, and it's one of my most prized possessions is just the shock of all of our friends that we had a baby. I love that. Oh, my God. That's beautiful. <clears throat> um, Do we – are for- we going to talk about the thing? The I chose one. Mm. You oh. did? You had told me yeah. to choose an empowerment, so I chose one. You actually did it. Doesn't Do people not do it? A couple people have spaced on it, yeah. I think the empowerment oh. scare people, to be honest. I think that – 
that some people have said that a few of them have made them really angry. And mm. one of person said that one of them made her cry. And I think that we're like, yeah, I think we're onto something here because they're yeah. really, they hit a nerve for whatever reason. And I think, yeah, I'm excited mm. to hear what you're saying. I'm just like a sociopath, but I was looking at them <laughs> thinking, wow, what beautiful colors. I love how they pop up as my screen. That's I the scroll designer down. in you. <laughs> It's the disarming element. They didn't yes. make me mad. But <laughs> okay. I chose the we see the hard stuff as the good stuff. And kind of what we talked about in the beginning, just going through this process of death and grief in our family. And again, it was only two 18-year-old cats, but it felt very real for me. Mm-hmm. And just having to have that first conversation with my son about dying and death and getting some books out at the library about a dog dying and getting them in advance to kind of prepping him. And then, you know, him just sitting on the potty and like yelling out to me, what if Santa Claus dies? Who's going to bring all the toys? And just (laughs) what happens when you die? And what, who would walk me to school if you die? And just all of these really thoughtful questions that I tried not to cry every time he asked me, but then also just, you know, it, I don't know in some way, I'm not saying it made the experience good, but it made the hard experience, I think more thoughtful for me and, and seeing it through his eyes, I was able to experience it in a different way, I think. So I'm kind of grateful that we got to it excuse me, experience that together. And, you know, after he came home from school and we told him, he just put his head down. He said, I'm really, really, really sad that we don't have pets anymore. And then he said, how about a cartoon to cheer us up? And I was like, okay. (laughs) So we watched the Octonauts. And then my friend who had just, was just here, who was Jewish, we did a Seder with her and we're not Jewish and she had left big the matzo crackers and so he's like and how about some big crackers while we do it so he ate a giant matzo and watched octonauts and it was kind of a perfect moment <laughs> the hard stuff's the good stuff yeah wait yeah, but- okay i have i have 5 more minutes but i just want to i want to end asking you guys a question that i was thinking about so is that okay yeah go yes. on okay so You guys are so immersed in parenting books. I mean, you've got these, I mean, a whole website, videos. And I've never read one single parenting book in my life. And I think it's because I don't know why. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, do you ever feel like it's too much information about what to do and what not to do? Because I think, like, for me, with, like, food stuff... I'm kind of sometimes get a little bit effed in the head when someone's like, eat quinoa, and then someone else, don't eat quinoa. Like, tahini's bad, and then someone else is like, tahini's great. So do you get too much information that it kind of messes you up? I think that that's a good question. I think that there's the difference for me between parenting stuff and health stuff, and maybe this is just because I'm not in the wellness and nutrition world as much, but... I think if I read one book on parenting, it might mess me up. So we just decided to read all of them. And then we really can check in with ourselves and see what resonates and what what the common threads are that really make us feel like, yes, that, I connect to that. And it's hard being like, I connect to people who like quinoa and I'm going to keep eating quinoa. So (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) But I I think in some ways it is the same, Kel. I think it is like you get a lot of information and then the responsibility and the opportunity is on us to decide, as you said, Kel, how that resonates. And with us, I mean, our area of interest and just where we can really geek out is around parenting stuff. So we're going to read all the books, but through that process of kind of diving in and liking to do it, we've built a base of understanding where then we can read a book and be like, well, I liked this part of it, but not that part. And I don't have such a nuanced understanding of nutrition, for example, yet, but little by little, I'm like reading more blog posts, listening to more podcasts. I'm doing these docu-series about, you know, the microbiome. Like it's very overwhelming, but I know because I think we've all been there in one place, whether it's through parenting or marketing or whatever it is, we all have our sweet spots that we've somehow been able to deep dive and we can see that 
there is a way through all that information to a more authentic place. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. I just, I don't know, just thinking about coming on this podcast and seeing all the stuff that you guys do and know, it's like, I didn't read any baby books. Like I don't, I didn't do sleep training. Like I didn't, I don't know. I don't know if I even did it right. I just did what felt natural. But now I'm at a point where I'm like, should I be reading toddler adolescent (laughs) books? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, only you know if you you should grab one. But if you've never read one, I just like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's just, it's a weird, I I, I mean, I agree. I think that I always like in a book and Kelty and I talk about this a lot. And that's why we've been trying to do this podcast. We're thinking of doing, we've been doing the video series. We're starting workshops um, because we're like, how do people best digest information? Reading a book is literally like being like, I'm going to go to the gym once and work out really hard with a trainer. Mm -hmm. And then what, I just have to exercise on my own from now on, or I'll go back Mm -hmm. to my old, you know, walking habits. Like, I I don't think the book is a be all end all. I think books are these thin sliced starting points to say, here's a nugget. How does that sit with you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now here you can go to another nugget if you want, or, Mm -hmm. you know, go someplace else. But, and we don't know those things either. Like the, um, sleep training, potty training, all those things were just, exploring. And that's what the podcast is too, is just reading a little, talking a little, exploring mm-hmm. a little more, creating awareness of the choices we're making, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. Well, and that's why I love your cookbook, Jessica, is because it's not dogmatic. It's not like a fix it, per, do exactly this thing kind of book. And those are the parenting books we don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. The books we like is like, I could read a cookbook and my parenting will change. I yeah. could read a, a book on leadership and my marriage is different. You know, it's it's about just the quality of the book resonating authentically with you as a person. And then that translates into all these other things in our lives. Does that make true, sense? True, true, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think maybe also, I think maybe sometimes I don't read certain topics because I have an opportunity with my podcast selfishly to like, if I'm interested in a topic, I just find one of the biggest experts on it and yeah. have them yeah. on and then I ask them whatever questions I want. Like a personal library of genius in every, so not fair, but well, we get to enjoy it too. That's yeah. the, but yeah. yeah. So, okay. Interesting. It was just something I was thinking about this morning when we were going to do this. I was like, am I missing out on all this, on all the parenting books or would it mess me up? Cause I think yeah. things are going well the way they are. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important to know just like about nutrition, like what, what are macros or micros or, you know, like what's, um, what is, you know, gluten generally do to our bodies? What's like this whole thing about my this? gut. And I think that yeah. that's the general idea about child development is being like, let's get a general idea of this age and stage so that our expectations can be set accordingly. So I don't think that something my son's doing is totally whack and I freak out and, mm-hmm. you know, react maybe worse than I would if I'd known, oh my gosh, that's so developmentally normal. So Kelty and I are always about like, inform yourself of the development so you can be parenting appropriately. But everything else is just, it's kind of like personal growth opportunity in our minds. And you can get that from any book. It doesn't have to be a parenting book, Okay, but you're doing a good job. Okay. I feel like that's important to say. (laughs) (laughs) My son wants to eat a giant cracker or matzo cracker and watch Octonauts after a cat dies. I hope that's okay. Absolutely. (laughs) Better than chips and dip. Yep. (laughs) That was fun. Yes, that was fun. I really love, we didn't really get to give Jessica much kudos for how transparent and amazingly courageous she is. And Mm -hmm. I just want to encourage everybody to go to her website and her Instagram and just see her. She's just such an advocate and truth teller about so many tough topics Mm -hmm. like depression, chronic illness, mental health, nutrition, abuse. She just, she spins these topics into open, magical, meaningful conversations, both on social media and on her podcast. And I just love it. She's just straight up wonderful. Yeah. I just, I'm so glad we got to talk with her and I feel like we don't have a ton of time for this after show today, Mm -hmm. but I think that the, the one thing that I want to discuss is just to basically rewrite her amazing question to us at the end, because I feel like it took us by surprise a little bit. We were like, what, what, why read parenting books? You have have a question for us? No one ever has a question for us. So this was pretty awesome. Thank you, Jessica. But we have a lot more to say. Is that it? I mean, we could go on forever about this topic in general, but her question was basically, 
am I missing out on all the parenting books or would it mess me up to be looking into this stuff? And generally speaking, yes, both. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> we, kind of our resounding answer is yeah. yes, both of those things. Both of those things. Yeah. And that's what, it's always both. Anything that we are willing to gain awareness in and learn more about and dive into to build context also requires we build self-awareness. And it's a very... Um, you know, it's a tough process to go through. Yeah. So, so know. yes, we are missing out on a lot of mm-hmm. things that we're not reading about. And they could mess us up a little. It's going to mm-hmm. get uncomfortable. We're going to feel insecure. <laughs> we're going to have to question ourselves and, and hold things up to what our, we've auth- done. Yeah, our, our authentic, you know, instincts and our thoughts, our beliefs, yeah. our feelings about things, things we've done, things we haven't done. It's really heavy but, shit. But I would argue that that's how we grow uh, with anything. In parenting, in finance, in wellness, in carpentry, in anything. Health, yeah. In anything. Um, carpentry. You know, I, think, I think a lot of people out there in this whole winging it movement that's going on. Don't get me started on you, Hillary Please Frank. Please don't I'm get me started on Hillary but, Frank right now. Um, she wrote a book called... Oh my god, I blanked it out because it like enraged me. I so think it's much. something like <laughs> it's, it was called it's called Weird Parenting Wins. Oh yeah, go her for writing a book, amazing um, podcast, uh, the longest shortest time. But she has been promoting um, the fact that winging it is better, and that parenting books are unsafe and unhealthy for parents to read. And didn't she say something like when she was a new mom, she read one and all it did was make her feel like a terrible person. So she's sworn off any parenting books, but read mine. I just wrote one, read this one because it doesn't count. Well, her idea is that books make you feel inferior and stressed out and basically mess you up as Jessica said. And we say, yes, they do because they cause you to deep dive, to look at yourself, to confront your ego, your self-esteem, your sense of worth, and then to rise above that and to say, I want to do better. And does this resonate with me or not? Am I nursing the way Dr. Sears wants me to? No, fuck him. That was interesting information, but no thanks. Oh, what about Harvey Karp? Or what about Rye? Or what about all these other people? Oh, actually, this one sounds pretty good. Hey, I am doing a good job through this lens that I really align with. That's what it's about. But her book is about weird parenting wins but, where people can just basically lie to their kids, wing it, go by their instinct, which it has a place in parenting, but it does not replace gaining information and learning about things. Gonna, it just makes me... I'm going to rub your shoulders for a second while I talk. You. This reminds me of... It's like someone... Jessica, I'm talking to you if you're listening to this. It's like someone saying, don't worry about what you're eating. Don't listen to any of the experts. Don't read anything about health or about nutrition or about evidence-based Just go with your stuff. instincts. Just literally just... Do what, what your parents did. Do what feels good to you so that you don't have to feel uncomfortable at all. And I'm yeah. sorry, but learning is uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think that that requires that us nice. stepping into the perspective of what can I get out of it mm-hmm. instead of what does this mean about me? And it reminds me of when I was pregnant with my daughter five years ago and my doula was like, okay, so we're going to be going into this hospital environment. How do you feel? And I was like, comfortable. And she was like, okay, well, I just want you to remember that you are a consumer of healthcare and I want you to go in there saying, this is what I want. This is what I need. What can you do for me? Okay, that sounds good. What can you do for me? That doesn't sound good enough. And that we need to have that sense of entitlement mm-hmm. in learning in these new situations. And I feel like maybe Hillary, bless her, didn't go into reading this parenting book with a sense of entitlement or a like, what's my return or on confidence. investment here? What, I, I still feel confidence. This isn't going to shake me. What I learn is just information. But that's the problem with, it's one thing about nutrition, which is very tough, or wellness, but parenting is even more sensitive, where none of us has been trained, none of us has been given the skills necessarily, yet we are expected to know everything and do it all right the first time. It is fucking ridiculous. And parenting books, unfortunately, many of them make us feel or can lead us to feel in this very fragile um, moment of our lives feel even worse and feel even more victimized. And what you and I are trying to talk about, Kel, is that that there are books out there and there are, you know, there is support out there that can, uh, you know, do it in a way that that can soothe us and and be accessible enough that we can engage with it. Or can we think of it as just basic enrichment? Yeah. You know, and I think it's interesting when Jessica said, 
you know, I've just, I've never read a single book on parenting. And I've heard a lot of friends and people we've known say it almost like a badge of honor, as in like, I've never had to read one. And I don't know if she's necessarily said it that way. No, but, but. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that yeah. at all. Apparently she's, you know, not struggling in, in mm-hmm. parenting at all. And that's amazing. And that's wonderful. And I'm glad that she's doing well, but like you keep holding it up next to the wellness stuff because she's so into nutrition and wellness, you know, you basically don't know. She didn't know she was unhealthy until she started getting healthier Mm -hmm. and started gaining this huge awareness over her body and what it felt like putting different foods into that body. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's how you and I've been on this parenting journey, which is we were doing pretty good at the beginning. We were were winging it. Hillary high fives. That was our style up until we were what? Everything. 31 years old. With academics, with finances, with relationships. With athletics, everything. With everything. And And we were just, I think we were just kind of traumatized by a grief in, in the family. And and we were like, we just can't handle this winging it thing anymore. Let's look into just kind of what's out there. It snuck up on us, though. Yeah. I don't think we all necessarily have to have a bottom out moment to work on ourselves and our lives. And sometimes we do. And that, you know, that bounces us in like, wow, I, I'm bankrupt. So I should probably look into this whole financial management budgeting thing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I thought that we were running our business great. That's one thing that we're winging it at, at winging at still, mm. where I'm like, I know in the back of my mind we could be doing better. I, it, that we yeah. could be doing better, that we're not doing that bad now, but think about what we could actually be doing. But that's such a big thing is we don't know what we don't know mm-hmm. about anything. And and I like to look at any field that I'm not knowledgeable in, not as something that's gonna that's putting my ego at risk, but as as this huge opportunity to explore, to build a context, to hold each of these little nuggets of information up against my inner voice, my experience, um, my heart, and just see where it lands. You know, mm-hmm. no, you know, nothing against you. No, but I think that that is the responsibility of growth. The bl- it's a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. that there are going to be there's going to be that dissonance between, oh my God, as I'm moving forward and learning, I'm going to feel really uncomfortable. It's going to expose a lot of my insecurities. And that's really tough. But we all have to decide, what do we invest in? What do we want to become more self-aware about? And sometimes I'm like, well, I know this nutrition thing is on the back burner. It's coming up. I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to do small little baby steps, thin slices. Other things, it's like, wow, the shit is hitting the fan with my marriage, for example. Okay, better invest in that and learning more and growing and putting that on the front burner, if that but makes sense. Your marriage sense. is pretty good. You were using oh, that as an example, I'm just right? using that as an example. Okay. We're doing great. Okay, yay. <laughs> but we've all got our things. And that was a we great do. question Jessica asked. And I think that's the thing that we love talking about and that we all struggle with. And hopefully we're helping to make things a little more approachable in this whole parenting world that leads us all to believe that we should know everything and do everything well. And I think that, yeah, I think it's just really easy for us to be like, to feel insecure and controlled by information. And it's truly just a mindset shift. It's, it's not saying that stuff is bad. It's not looking negatively on it. It's saying that's just information. And I, I get to choose and assert my power and my independence by deciding what information is good for me, not saying no to all information, I'm still going to engage with it. And then I get to make the decision as a consumer. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Let's wrap this up. Okay. Visit jessicamernan.com to learn more about Jessica, her podcast, and her book. One Part Plant is available at any bookseller. Or library. We got Mm. it from the library. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. You can find Jessica on Instagram at Jessica Murnan to follow her inspiring activism and wellness and beyond and just stay up to date on events and speaking engagements. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on our conversation with Jessica. So please DM, call, email, or contact us through our website at upbringing.co. Yeah. And if you feel that you're vigorously nodding during a lot of these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. That'd be cool. We'd love that. And lastly, you are doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. We are so proud of you. And we're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time. And now for the lullaby bye portion of our show created in the hopes of inspiring us all to personalize our song singing experience with our kids. Have you all been doing that? 
is what I would like to know. I'm kind of curious. How does it feel to sing something that you like to sing? How does your kid respond to that when you're kind of in the groove a little more or have a little smile on your face? Because it's a ridiculous translation from radio to bedtime. Bedtime acapella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, we've had a couple of friends being like, did I tell you that I sang this the other night? Yeah. All proud about well, it. I love the idea of maybe just doing that this season and then letting other people, you know, submit call theirs. in yeah. with their their own um, lullaby buys. I like that idea. That'd be fun. So if you're interested in that, do it. Practice that lullaby buy. Send it our way so you can inspire other parents to choose their own songs for their bedtime routine. I've been in lullaby by overdrive lately. Mm. Just since we've started doing this, I feel like normally I had a handful of just my own favorite songs that I always sang. And then I sprinkled in some more just like itsy bitsy spider standbys. And I know not everyone has the luxury slash responsibility to be mm-hmm. singing to their kids, depending on what age they are. Or their kids might reject it too. Like mm. I, I, both of my kids have been through stages where they're like, no thanks. And they just turn over and go to sleep. Yours are kind of like, music okay, snobs. Fine. Hand. I don't I don't know. I haven't hit the sweet spot every time. But yeah. sometimes they're into it and other times they're just like, Good night, mom. Yeah. I like that though. Well what, what are you gonna sing tonight? Um, you chose it for me. And I it's, did. What it, is it? Uh it's Bleachers singing mm. roller coaster. <laughs> Yay. Which I think is so perfect <clears throat> for this whole week of talking about we welcome all emotions. That yeah. was this last week's episode. And talking about the rainbow and the true colors and just the idea of our lives and the up and down nature of them, how we're just on a big wild ride, right? Yeah. I've liked singing this song personally as well. Mm-hmm. I sang it more like a year ago than I do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sang, um, well, it came out when the girls were babies. That's yeah. when we were singing it. And um, yeah, I just, when I, I remember when I sang it, it made me happy because I just pictured Jack Antonoff standing on top of a step van with his guitar <laughs> singing, just like cruising through the desert. It's a good music video mm, if you haven't seen it's it, everybody. Silly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I also love how he talks about, I mean, it's clearly a romantic song, which I believe romantic songs can be for anybody in our lives. We're singing a lot of them to our kids these yeah, days. Yeah. But this, that he calls her a killer queen. Mm. And that's how our daughters were to us. They were these killer queens in our lives that just demanded everything and took everything out of us but just were so fucking regal and stunning and just that we would do anything for just on our knees, you know, like little roller coasters. Yeah. 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 It would bring us close and then kick us in the faces, you know? Yeah. Um, so here we go. It was summer when I saw your face looked like a teenage runaway. Oh God, I never thought we'd take it that far Some killer queen you are Now I'm running, can't stop anywhere I go Think about it every day and night I can't let go Man, I'm never the same We were shotgun lovers, I'm shotgun running away So come a little closer There is something I could tell you. It was such a roller coaster. And a killer queen you are. Roller coaster, I don't say no. Roller coaster, and you don't say no. Such a roller coaster. Some killer queen you are. 